Although the work I was doing before had a lot of value, I helped the healthcare and biotech industry, but I just didn't feel like it was for me. With coding, it felt like it was for me. Hello and welcome to the Scrimba podcast. On this weekly show, I interview developers about their advice on learning to code and getting your first developer job. I'm your host, Alex, and today I'm joined by Vanessa, a scientist turned developer from San Francisco who just got her first job in tech as a front-end engineer. She joins me today to recount her experience learning to code part-time, transitioning careers, hunting for an entry-level job during layoffs, and her calculated decision to work an unpaid internship in order to build up experience. In the end, an up-and-coming startup hired Vanessa over candidates with more technical experience because of that work experience she built up and her ability to convey her career experience through conversation and a really pleasant developer portfolio that Vanessa put together. This is a fun episode because Vanessa attributes some of her success to advice she got listening to this very podcast. So while Vanessa has her unique perspectives, it's also going to be interesting to hear the advice that helped her the most. You are listening to the Scrimba podcast. Let's get into it. I actually got into learning how to code in middle school. That was when I was 10 or 11 years old. And I started with C++, but I quit around high school because I didn't feel smart enough. So I just moved on from coding and didn't think back about it until recently last year. What did you pursue in the meantime? I graduated college with a biology degree and I had intentions to go to medical school, but I didn't want to go to medical school. So I ended up finding a program about clinical lab science. This program is an internship and they train you on how to do laboratory work in hospitals or biotech companies behind the scenes. So my profession then was to grab that blood sample or some kind of human excrement or substance to test. We're basically the people that you never see in hospitals. But we depend on for all our tasks and everything else. Yeah, definitely. Unsung heroes for sure. I like that a lot, by the way. You felt like programming might be too hard, so you pursued biology and medicine instead, which seemed a lot harder to me. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know... I didn't know how I got to that, but I just went with how I felt. How long did you work as a lab scientist for? 10 years total. Whoa, you were deep in that career then. Yes, I even got a master's degree in healthcare management because I thought that was the next step. I was running into a lot of, I guess, difficulties and some of the processes like manual processes. They keep track of samples through paperwork or even note cards or some kind of sticky note. In 2023? Yeah. (laughs) Yikes. Even in biotech, the last biotech lab I was in also used note cards to keep track of their samples. And that experience throughout my 10 years working as a lab tech really put fuel inside of me to make a change to work towards a software that can help laboratories. Wow. So that was your primary motivation to learn to code, I assume, if you had a product in mind at the end. Yes. The last biotech company I was at was like the last straw 
I saw them using paper notes, Excel sheets, keeping track of things. And I was like, no way this is happening in a biotech lab. Yeah, I want to change that. I want to be part of the solution, a software solution for laboratories. When did you finally decide to leave it behind and pursue coding? That must have been a hard decision, even if you were really motivated. I left it early last year around March and then started learning the code full time in April. What made you start then? Like, what was the catalyst that made you say now is the moment? It was a culmination of a lot of experiences and factors that had me jump into this really difficult journey of trying to switch careers. The three years of working through the pandemic as an essential worker. Of course. Wow. During that time, I also had health issues such as chronic pain. And I was going through medical therapy that made me tired and hormonal and have low energy. And I think what really motivated me to change completely was when my uncle passed away during the pandemic. So it was a reminder of how precious and short life is. After that, I did some soul searching and a career workshop too. And one of the questions that was asked was, what gave you joy when you were a child? And I thought, okay, I like art. I like creativity. I like coding. So I think front-end development served all three of those joys I had when I was a kid. How did you go about learning to code? I first went to Code Academy because it was like the first thing that pops up in the search on Google. We know. But when I got to the React section, I was so lost because I'm not used to reading and following instructions. It was very difficult to learn. And someone in the Code Academy forum suggested to check out Scrimba. So (laughs) that's how I got to Scrimba. I did the free React course with Bob, and then I also continued it to the advanced React. So Scrimba was the one that really taught me the entire front-end web development, especially with React, because that's the foundation. So learning the foundation through Scramba really made things more solid for me. How much coding did you know beforehand? Like, did you know about variables and if statements and those kind of basic things? Or was it new to you totally? I had experience with coding way back. I don't remember C++ at all, but I understood if and else statements and variables What was different was learning HTML, JavaScript from scratch, and then um, learning a framework that had those foundations behind the scenes. How did you structure your learning? Were you doing it alongside your work in the lab or did you get to spend full time doing it? I initially did full time and I had my own curriculum. I actually studied the curriculum of boot camps. Oh, that's smart. And made like a curriculum. I put it on Notion and followed what kind of subjects and courses I would take and then what Udemy courses I would take as well. But at some point, I've learned enough React that I wanted to make my own projects. And that was the biggest leap is from learning through courses and building your own project from scratch. 
that took me a lot of time to really feel comfortable. 100%. It's one of those things that you can't quite believe you can do it until you try. And then one day you can. And it's such an empowering feeling to almost take the training wheels off because you're not just following a tutorial step by step, but you're using those fundamental building blocks to go and build something totally unique. Did you build any sort of projects while you were learning to code? Yeah, the project that was really unique to me and also the project that made me like lose hair a little bit (laughs) because it was difficult to build something from scratch without any guidance. Um, It was building a laboratory Kanban board. I shouldn't be surprised, should I, if it had to do with a laboratory? Yeah, my experience really motivated me to make something that I feel would improve laboratory workflow. What's different with this Kanban board is that each card had a timer. So I just learned that dealing with time in code is just really difficult. But I learned a lot from that. It's not perfect, but I learned a lot from that. Nice. Well, link it in the show notes for sure. And then people can check it out. I think it's often a question people wrestle with as to what projects to build. So I think sharing some inspiration is going to be really cool. Before you started to learn front-end development specifically, like HTML and React and those kind of things, you built a website for a community you're part of using Squarespace. How did that experience using Squarespace lead into your experience learning to code? Was it helpful at all? I think using Squarespace to create the group's website allowed me to learn how a website should look in general. Like you have the hero section, you have a nav bar. There are certain ways that Squarespace provided like the template of what modern websites should look. So it gave me the eye to figure out what my project should look like, or at least what professional websites should look like. That's cool. Then you've got something to work towards when you start coding them. You started to learn web development in April, I think? Yes, but freelancing for nonprofits like this group you're talking about, Lady Crush Crew, it happened like about three, four years ago. Oh, wow. And when did you start applying for jobs? I applied for jobs late last year in September. Which, if I'm remembering right, was probably... Yeah, definitely around the time there were a lot of layoffs happening in tech. I was like, well... Now, this is a cliffhanger if I ever heard one. Coming up, how Vanessa had to go through six interviews for a single company. First one is with the recruiter. And then the second one is with the hiring manager. Third one is... Vanessa is a frequent listener of the Scramble podcast and I've read her posts on this segment at least twice so far. So if you're currently learning to code and listening to the show and tweeting or axing or posting about it, maybe you're next. Hi, I'm Jan, the producer. Alex and Vanessa will be right back. But first, I want to see what you've been posting about the podcast on social media. Anthony Nanfito shared a blog post titled Get Command Cheat Sheet and tweeted, In my latest blog post, I share my top seven Get Commands and how I use them. This post was inspired by the learning public philosophy shared by Swix on the latest episode of the Scrimba podcast. Awesome. Rocky tweeted, I really enjoyed the Scrimba podcast with Jen Lee Lim. I work full time while learning to code so listening to a success story of somebody in a similar situation was very encouraging yeah it's a great episode 
episode. Sometimes we tend to think that we're like, we should be able to switch careers in like three months or whatever, where we should be fine with taking a bit more time for it and doing it at a more sustainable pace. So uh, yeah, glad you found it inspiring. And Praveen tweeted, Just listened to an amazing episode of the Scrimba podcast featuring insights from 100 Days of Code participants. It's incredible to hear how this challenge has transformed so many lives and accelerated their coding journey. By the way, we're working on an entire episode about 100 Days of Code. Who would you like to hear on it? If you have any suggestions as to who should we talk to, just tweet at... Oh, sorry, I've been calling them tweets, but I still don't know what they're called now, so... So uh, please forgive me. So like tweet or X at us. Uh, it sounds really weird. And if you're doing 100 Days of Code and listening to the podcast, join the conversation. If you give us a shout out on social media, I will give you a shout out on the show. And now we're back to the interview with Vanessa. Did you know these layoffs were happening when you started? I read LinkedIn. I also read Reddit posts. Everyone was freaking out. Me too. <laughs> but it was unproductive to freak out. So I constantly try to pivot my strategy. I think the biggest strategy that worked really well for me was what I learned through Screenbrook Podcasts. There are two specific podcast episodes that really helped me. One is with Madison Canna and also Alexander Lee. Tech Rally. Yeah. Through Madison's episode, what really gave me an idea is when she talked about getting technical experience through an unpaid apprenticeship. That really motivated me to get roles, paid or unpaid, mostly unpaid, to get that technical experience. Because I was tired of hearing recruiters saying or hiring managers saying, you don't have enough experience. And the episode with Alexander Lee, he talked a lot about how important your portfolio should look like and what the tech market is for juniors. So after that episode, I met up with him for a coaching session. You're kidding. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> the Scrimba podcast really gave me ideas on how to motivate me through the tech layoffs. That's, oh my gosh, that's just awesome to hear. Thank you for sharing that. When you realized that you needed more hands-on experience to get a job in that market, how did you go about doing that specifically? First, after working with Alexander Lee... Like leading up to a session, I changed my portfolio completely. I also completed a course so I could add more meaningful projects in my portfolio. So I used his session as a deadline to change my resume and portfolio. And after I get feedback from him on like what to improve, I start looking for roles where I can gain technical experience. And that's where I found out about Hack for LA, which is through the Code for America community brigade. And I found an internship also through LinkedIn. And through those two experiences, I was able to work with a team and work with a big code base, oh, yeah. which I've never had the experience to work with when I was doing a solo or self-taught route. Was that a valuable experience compared to just working by yourself? Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like I learned more about Git. Yeah. Learning how to share branches, learning how to revert your changes, 
branches, learning how to switch between branches and learning how to branch off another branch. So that was all very useful, especially to the job I have now. Yeah. When you're learning and building your own project, it feels so contrived to like do another branch or do a merge and all these things, because you might as well just commit to the main branch. Like there's really not a big reason not to do that. But as soon as you start working in a team, not only is it essential, but you really see why it's important, right? And the ways in which you structure your project and your branches now, I think that's so valuable. And plus, yeah, you just don't get that kind of big code base experience when you're working by yourself. And as we all know, as a developer, you spend a lot more time reading and understanding code than you do actually writing it. Yeah, it was a different beast. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was way harder than my experience at the volunteer or internship because the code base was much bigger. I'm grateful that I had that experience in the internship and volunteer roles because it was like a, the next step to the actual paid development. A stepping stone. Yeah. Last week, I got a new task to change like two little things on the UI. But when I got to the file, it was like 1600 lines in one file. And it took me a couple of days to read and understand what the file was about. So having to insert my code just to change two, three things was very difficult. But at least I knew how to take the time to read because of my experience at the internship and volunteer roles. Yeah. Maybe since you're talking about the project you're now working on, we can segue into like how you got the job. First of all, how long did it take you from beginning to apply to getting the job, roughly? I'd say I started last year in September and I got the offer at the end of May or June. So about nine, ten months. That's very respectable. I like that a lot. Thank you. What is the company you're working at? I work at SciShield and I feel pretty lucky because it makes a full circle of my whole story because. I wanted to work for a company that makes software for laboratories, and they are. <laughs> I'm going to quote their website. SciShield is the scientific organization's choice for safe and compliant labs. So they provide solutions for environmental health and safety managers, lab managers, and research scientists to keep track of inspections, audits, equipments, stuff like that. Right up your alley. Yeah, it's used by academia, governments and startups. So it was a perfect fit for me. How did you actually find that opportunity? Through LinkedIn. Ooh, tell us a bit more about your job hunting strategy on LinkedIn. I try to optimize my LinkedIn profile. So I have a banner and I have a summary and keywords in my tagline below my name. You have a very standout profile picture as well. I noticed like it's been edited a little bit, but it's still clearly you. So it stands out and someone can recognize you. Yeah. So I put a lot of time in my LinkedIn because I also use it to reach out to people on LinkedIn to build a network. Like I reached out to a lot of alumni through my college, especially ones that switched to the tech industry. So say they have a background in science or something unrelated to computer science, I reached out to them to see if I can talk to them and see how they switched industries. So I got a lot of stories and advice through those people. 
How did you find the experience applying for jobs? I know at first it can be tempting to like easy apply to everything, but from what I've heard on the podcast anyway, that isn't always the most productive thing to do. Yeah, I also tried easy apply, but the job that I have now is through like an extra step where it goes to an external website and fill out the application on the website. So I did a lot of those too. Yeah, that's another tip I've heard that we can relay, I think, which is that if you see it advertised on LinkedIn, sometimes LinkedIn will take you to their website as it sounds like happened this time, but you can uh, go off LinkedIn by your own accord, find the job on their website and apply there because probably that goes to a different inbox uh, with less applicants basically. And so maybe it's a way to stand out a little bit. What do you think they wanted to see from you during the interview process? I think the fact that I was a former scientist really stood out to them. Mm. One of the interviewers said that because I was a scientist, it gives me an edge over developers with experience. I'm just really like surprised that they gave me a chance, especially over other experienced developers. Having the background as a scientist also matches their value as a company because one of their values is that the product is made by scientists for scientists. So they would probably almost always have to compromise on that when they hire developers. But in your case, you genuinely are a scientist who's also a developer. Were there other parts to the interview process? Like what kind of things did they want to see from you as a junior candidate in terms of your technical ability? I went through six rounds of interviews. Six rounds? What? <laughs> yes. First one is with the recruiter. And then the second one is with the hiring manager. Third one is with a senior manager in the team. Fourth one is a director from another department. Fifth one is the CTO of engineering. And then last one is the CEO. Okay. It's quite a big company, I, I can imagine. Actually, no. It's around 35 people. <laughs> Whoa. It's a startup. Yeah. Well, in that case, if they have that many interview rounds, it says one of two things. Either number one, they're a really big company and that's just the way it goes. Or number two, they are just very rigorous about getting people on board who they think are going to be a great fit. Yeah. And I can see why they do that because the average tenure of their company is six and a half or seven years. There's a lot of people there that stay for a long time. And actually one of the directors just celebrated their 10 year anniversary today. That's so cool, Vanessa. Thank you for telling us a bit more about the process. I have a few follow-up questions, uh, some things I want to dig into a little bit more. But what do you say we break the interview up a little bit with some quickfire questions? Sounds good. What is one learning resource that has been the most impactful on your journey learning to code? I have to say Scrumba. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's so nice. <laughs> it's the biggest one that like impacted how I learned front-end development. That's awesome. What is your favorite technology to use at the moment? I would say JavaScript. JavaScript is the backbone of the internet and website. So I feel like learning it is fundamental to me. As Per likes to say in the intro to the career path, knowing JavaScript is a superpower, basically. So I'm not surprised. And what about a technology you're interested in learning next? Well, I'm currently learning Vue because I did learn React first and now 
I have to switch my brain into the view mindset. When you're coding, what kind of music do you listen to? I listen to lo-fi and K-pop. Do you look up to or follow anyone in the tech community we should know about? The first person that came to my mind is Brian Jenny. He's a coding coach and developer on LinkedIn. He's actually a mentor I looked up to and also chat with for any of my questions during my job hunting process. And uh, if uh, Alex, aka Tech Rally, is listening, I don't think he'll be jealous or anything because you plugged his uh, coaching earlier in the interview. Yes. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that, actually. Do you remember, um, well, hopefully uh, we're not cannibalizing his business, as I know his advice will be tailored to the individual. But I was wondering, were there any sort of tips or advice that Alex gave you in terms of your portfolio or LinkedIn that really stood out and made a difference? So bringing up the first project I wrote from scratch, the laboratory Kanban board, he was able to give feedback on what he sees as a user. So he had questions about it. Like, what does this button mean? Like, what does this website mean in general? So he could like put himself in the shoes of someone who like knew nothing about the project or your portfolio and like ask the questions that you couldn't assume because you were so close to the project. Yeah. So he asked questions that I didn't think about before because I realized that my audience are not scientists. It's just regular users. And then I have this random project that recruiters all over would be looking at. So to them, it would not make sense. So I ended up adding a little paragraph of what the Kanban warrant is about. And that's what I added to the website. Which is kind of funny in a way, because the company you ended up working for, <laughs> they, they probably would understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing we spoke about, which I really wanted to come back to, is uh, Madison Canner's advice about unpaid internships. Both her interview and Alex's interview, I remember them really well. They're fantastic guests with lots of great advice. So if anyone listening wants to check those out, they can. But one of the really interesting points that Madison made was that rather than learning to code by herself, she decided that she would be better off writing code in a team, any team, because that would accelerate her learning, even if she wasn't being paid. And that motivated her to do an unpaid internship. Vanessa, I actually posted about this on LinkedIn and a few people commented saying, no, never do that. Always recognize your worth. Don't do an unpaid internship. That's terrible advice. I have to ask, what, what do you think? I also get those same comments when I created a LinkedIn post about unpaid internships. I agree that you should get paid to learn and to have experience, especially if you're creating work for someone else. But with my circumstance, I was able to do unpaid work because I was working part-time um, while I was doing unpaid work for hack for la or any other roles. So I felt comfortable picking up these kind of work. And to me, I feel like I get a lot out of the experience without getting paid. So that was my reason to do unpaid work. It's a really good point because compensation doesn't have to be monetary, if that makes sense. Like you can get value in return in the form of mentorship or experience and, and those kind of things. 
Did you feel like you had to be careful about where you volunteered your efforts as not to be taken advantage of? Yes, that's why I felt comfortable developing for Hack for LA because they're part of the Code for America Brigade, which is a national community that create and maintain civic projects for the group's respective cities. So I know the work I'm putting into it is benefiting a lot of people, especially for like certain cities. But when it comes to internships, I also look into like how much work they expect from me and if I can do the expectation and I try to make sure I'm not taking advantage of. And of course, if you're working part time as well, that meant that you had to be quite careful about managing expectations because you could only work so many hours before you burn out and that kind of thing. Hack for LA. I'm curious, what do they do? And is it possible for people learning to get involved as well somehow? Yeah, so the national community is called Code for America. And the specific brigade is called Hack for LA. So it's a group in Los Angeles that create projects to help serve the city of Los Angeles. Is this to do with like uh, public transport and environmental, you know, government voting, those, those kind of civic type of projects exactly yeah they have projects um just to list a few there's one called expunge assist another is ballot nav and then food oasis these are tools that helps the city help their own citizens but yeah through Code for america people can go through the brigades to see if they have one near them and provide their service as a developer to help these brigades. So you're not just getting experience, but you're actually making a difference as well. That's uh, probably pretty perfect, uh, to be honest. And now, of course, you're working as a full-time developer, which is a great conclusion as well. You mentioned how your domain knowledge came in really valuable during the interview process and how it possibly gave you an edge over other candidates that maybe had a bit more technical experience, but lacked that sort of context, right? That domain knowledge, the terminology and empathy for the problem and an understanding Maybe for someone listening who doesn't, maybe they're not a, a lab scientist, for example, maybe they're working in another field. I'm just wondering, what are some examples of where domain knowledge have helped you in this role? When I was going through product trading, I understood the terminology and the functions of the modules and what they're trying to solve. So I understood it quickly and it helps me figure out what I can do behind the scenes as a developer to like change certain UI that would further help more scientists or lab managers. Are there sometimes conversations about like what to build and the right way to build it? And even though the technical stuff might be a bit advanced, you understand what they're trying to get at at least. Exactly. And it really depends on the client too. Each client has different needs for their laboratory and then they wouldn't ask for certain functions or certain kind of ways of doing things. So the support team would hear that request and then they would talk with the developer team to see if that is possible to do. It's very interesting to see how it all comes together. That's awesome because you maybe don't need that middle step because you're both a developer and you understand what's happening. We all know that like writing code is expensive, engineers are expensive, but it's also very expensive to like build the wrong thing because of a misunderstanding or because it failed to understand what the user really wants. 
some incredibly technical people, they judge their quality based on the quality of the code and their productivity by the number of lines of code they've written. It's a very easy trap to fall into. And at the same time, you might spend a lot of time aligning by what technologies you want to use. But I think because you have this intrinsic motivation and a deep appreciation and understanding for the space, uh, you align by what is going to be most valuable to the users and therefore the customer. And I think it puts you in this great position to embed yourself in conversations and give really valuable input probably around what direction to take things in, how to approach it. Obviously, while you're new, your voice might be a bit quieter, but it's no doubt that over time, uh, you start to make a really big impact this way. So I, I can totally see why they wanted to invest in you. I think it sounds like a bit of a match made in heaven, to be honest. I'm sure they were super thrilled to get you on board. Yeah, I'm glad. <laughs> and they're using, like you learned React, but they're using Vue.js at the company, it sounds like. Yeah, well, actually how Vue does things is similar to some of how React does things. So my brain is able to rewire like, oh, okay, this is similar to this kind of concept. But I think a lot of my work these days is just JavaScript and not particularly like, oh, this is a React component or this is a Vue component. It's more like, how do you make this thing change or how do you make that kind of change and how to connect it together? And then you just figure out the view part of it. Maybe exemplifying why it's so important to focus on the foundations of JavaScript, even though front-end frameworks can be really exciting sometimes. Is there anything you're looking forward to at work? Any projects you're currently tackling, things you're learning? Right now, I'm just getting to know the database. I'm actually being challenged on how much interaction I have with the database. So I realized I should have learned more about the network settings when it comes to solo projects or maybe volunteer projects. But I'm learning a lot about requests and responses from the database. And I'm using a lot more of Postman to see what it looks like and other visualization of the SQL database. So I'm looking forward to learning more about that and becoming an expert in that because I didn't realize how important that is for front-end development because you rely on those results. That's a great point. I think once upon a time, front-end developers would send kind of uh, abstract requests to a back-end and get the results and maybe a back-end developer implements that. Uh, but with the advent of things like GraphQL and other technologies, you're sometimes kind of like querying uh, and accessing more backend type technologies from the front end. Do you feel like you're getting more support and guidance and stuff about those things while you're working at the company? Mm -hmm. I'm actually really glad that I have this manager I have because he's very supportive and he doesn't mind taking his time throughout the day to do pair programming or to view my screen and see what I'm doing and telling me like what to do, what to write. He basically handheld me like the first month. Well, he's still hand-holding me too, but <laughs> I hope I can be more independent in the next couple months. But I realize how important it is to have a manager that really makes sure that I'm getting all the help I need. He often would drop whatever he's doing and help me out for an hour or two. So I'm really grateful that he's patient with me and that he helps me out whenever I don't understand something because it's such a big code base with all kinds of new technologies that I never worked with before. 
You mentioned early on in the interview that the catalyst for learning to code was around some health issues and the bereavements and you'd become a bit disenfranchised with the job. So just a very difficult time, it sounds like. And it's also not easy to learn to code. It's definitely not easy to learn to code while you're doing another job part time. But now you're here and you're getting this support and you have these growth opportunities. And it sounds like you're working on something that really matters to you as well. Like it's going to make the change you want to see in the world. That's pretty awesome. Was it worth it learning to code in the end? Heck yes, it was <laughs> totally worth it. <laughs> no doubt about it. And during this career break, I was able to become more healthy as well. Like the pain I had suffered with for the last three years disappeared completely. Whoa, is that like a stress thing or like? Probably. I think it's stress and maybe unhappiness with maybe the work I was doing before. Although the work I was doing before had a lot of value. I helped the healthcare and biotech industry, but I just didn't feel like it was for me. So with coding, it felt like it was for me. That is awesome. And a really wonderful, happy note to end the interview on. Vanessa, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and to be able to be on a podcast. I listened to a lot last year, especially. It's just an honor to be here. <laughs> We're happy to have you, Vanessa. That was the Screamer Podcast. Thanks for listening. Check out the show notes for all the resources mentioned in this episode, as well as the podcast episodes both Vanessa and Alex referred to. If you made it this far, please subscribe. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling super supportive, consider leaving us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice. The show is hosted by Alex Booker at Booker Codes on X. We are a weekly show and we'll be back next next Tuesday.